filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So Jason, after hearing about your gas leak on the way home troubles, I was stalking you online as I do with, uh, it's, it's, it's a professional thing that I do for my day job. And I was wondering, I was looking at a map and I was wondering, why don't you live on the street that it seems like you should live on? Because if there's a fork in the road and it's directly in front of my house, uh, the, there's a stop sign in the yard. Um, that I have a stop sign in my yard too. Well, the stop sign in my yard technically marks the end of one street, and I'm not going to say it because I don't want any of you listeners coming to visit me. Uh, you can <laughs> you can stay at arm's length. Um, just just, but, just drive to every stop sign in Maryland. And yes, you'll eventually. You will eventually find Jason. Yes, maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, it, there's a fork, so the stop sign appears to just be arbitrary, but it's actually technically the end of one road. Um, and but people always assume I live on the other road because if you look at it, it looks like that's the house. The house faces that road instead of the other road. Um, I don't know what the apportionment and zoning requirements are to hand out <laughs> which street one lives on and one doesn't. Uh, but it usually ends with me if I want food delivered uh, in the places that they've never been to my house before. It usually ends with me wandering down the street to a confused delivery driver uh, who has invariably gone the wrong way and is looking at looking at a house that like because the houses on the other side of the street don't have the same number of of numbers in their address. I'm what? On a four, yeah, so it's it's four numbers on my side and three on the other. So those people they they are like, am I even in the right neighborhood? Uh, am yeah, that's I, weird. Yeah, it is weird. But like I know. have I I have a similar plight with my house because my street you guys have been here um your house is, is hidden from reality yes it's tiny and the only way to access it by car is through alleys yes. from one of three streets multiple alleys um if you come in from from one street in particular yes you have to drive through a kind of crooked alley i think that's the uh, way i usually come to your house actually, yeah is through I don't know why you do that alley. the other ones are straight the other ones the are, one that- are both straight it's the one yeah, that Google, Google tells me to go That's true. To. Google, Google says to go through the weird alley, and I don't understand why. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, trying to – for a while, cab drivers would refuse to bring me to my door <laughs> because they're like, no, I'm not driving in that alley, man. And, and I would have to say, listen, your tip depends on you driving in this alley right now. Um, you don't have to drive to it, and I don't have to tip you, uh, but I want to be dropped at my door and not a block away. So please do that. Uh, but also delivery drivers would like be circling and they're like, I have no idea where this street is. And they would call me and I would have to walk them through step by step how to get to my street. Yeah, my, mine, mine is the very lightest version of that same problem where uh, it's just my driveway and my mailbox are on a, a different are on a cul-de-sac. And my house is actually addressed and faces the larger road. So all the delivery people go to the house, the driveway of the house next to me on the main road. And she's like, no, no, no. So I, I also, and then they run across the grass. 
Uh, they run across. They usually end up parking in my front yard, like pulling <laughs> off the side of the road in my front yard, and then running across the grass up to my front door, which is where I'm standing with the lights on, waving at them to uh, that this is actually where my house is. Excellent. So. This has totally been the most interesting cold open we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Filibuster, the Urban Transit Podcast. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben. I live in a big house in the middle of nowhere, Bromley. And Jason, I have a stop sign in my yard and may or may not be on the street you're looking for. Anderson, I am Adam. My street is hidden from the world. Taylor, we are all from blackandredunited.com, where we, I swear to God, we don't give everyone terrible nicknames that don't make any sense. That's not a thing we normally do. Um, we do write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Richmond Kickers, uh, and the Washington Spirit, and and a lot more. And uh, Rayo OKC sometimes. Sometimes Rayo OKC. Why not? You know, now that they no longer <laughs> you exist. You guys both said that very strangely. Yes. Uh, normally, I talk about the seasons and why they've influenced my drink. Today, I've gone completely the other direction. Uh, I'm drinking a gin ricky uh, in in early December. Because uh, I felt like something crisp, and uh, that's pretty good, right? Gin, lime, what are you going to... Yeah. yeah. So it's completely out of the blue, but that's what happened. I decided to actually go seasonal, unlike Jason. And I am drinking a recent release from my beloved, and everyone's beloved, uh, Hardywood Park Craft Brewery here in Richmond. I'm drinking their uh, 2016 release of their Bourbon Barrel Gingerbread Stout which is just as delicious as ever. It's one of... They're, they now have five different versions of the gingerbread stout, including uh, one that they call Kentucky Christmas Morning because it's a gingerbread stout brewed with coffee and then aged in bourbon barrels. So Kentucky Christmas Morning. So let's talk soccer. Uh, MLS Cup final is on Saturday, and some are calling it a dream final, at least for the the suits in the MLS League office in New York. It will be Toronto FC hosting the Seattle Sounders on Saturday night for all the marbles. Um, we talked about how Seattle got there last week, so go back and listen to that if you you haven't. This week, though, Toronto beat the Montreal Impact three to two in regular time to force extra time in their their series. Um, they lost three to two in Montreal after a furious comeback, um, and and then Toronto scored two more without Jovinko on the field to win the series in extra time in what was probably the best two game series in MLS playoff history. Ben, this was. What, what do the kids say these days? Lit? This this series was lit? Is that uh, is that right? That's what I think the kids say these days. Yeah, sure. But yeah, it, it was actually it was a wonderful series. Uh just the atmospheres in both stadiums were great. Uh just the amount of goals were great. I mean, some purists may sit, try and say that uh it was bad defending and blah blah blah, but it was a super entertaining it was two super entertaining games on both ends. With really high class players. I mean, you had Drogba, you have Javinko. Uh, yeah, it was it was really great. It was really entertaining, and I can only hope that MLS Cup is half as exciting because it won't be because MLS Cups are always dour defensive affairs. 
Can we reject uh, the idea that purists get to defend or get to criticize defending when they also criticize defensive games as not what they used to be because it used to be high scoring? Here's the yeah, thing about it, here's the thing it, about purists is nothing is pure and so they hate everything. That's how purism works. If yeah. you're an actual fan of uh, mid '90s Italian soccer and you really do love the beauty of a defensive game and you're annoyed by this, these two games, I still disapprove of your opinions, but at least <laughs> you can maybe have them. You have a leg to stand on then. Um, yeah, you don't get to complain about aesthetics in soccer and then not enjoy what just happened in Toronto, I think. Um, fast forwarding to Saturday, the attention, I think, will will rightfully, in a lot of cases, go to names like Lodero and Jovinko and Morris and Altidore. But I want to talk about the defense here because um, when you have two great offenses, the defenses are, are who have to stand up and be the difference maker or, or keep the other side from using their difference makers. So Jason, Toronto FC improved a lot this year through acquisitions. I think they had the best defense in the East as far as goals allowed, which uh, is the fact that they were even in that conversation is shocking. If you've ever seen previous years of Toronto playing soccer um how how does their defense work especially with the the transition they had in these playoffs to a three-man back line uh well it's it's a hard question to answer because they didn't play like this all year um they didn't in fact play like this for most of the year um the reason their goal uh total or their goals against and it was 39 um which no no team in the east came even close to that um, the Red Bulls were second. They gave up 44. Um, mm-hmm. So most of it isn't really from being uh, incredibly talented individually. It's not anything like that. It's that they're pretty well drilled, but also just conservative. This was a conservative team based around the idea that if they keep the scores low and Giovinco's on the field, they'll probably win. Um it wasn't for a lot of the a lot of the season. Toronto was not a fun team to watch. A lot of times, it was fun to watch Giovinco do things, and um, that was pretty much it. A lot of the time, especially before Jose, when Jose Altidore was still injured or he wasn't in the form that he is now, that was kind of the game for TFC. Was like, well, we better keep a shutout so that Giovinco can save us with a goal somewhere along the lines. Um, they spent some time in a diamond. Actually, spent a lot of time in a diamond. Um, they spent time Altador when Altador was injured, they actually had a couple games where Giovinco was alone up front. Um, they were all over the place trying to figure out what to do. Um, a big part of what their, their success now is that, you know, now that they're in this three, five, two, and I, I assume they're going to stick with it because if there was a team that was going to take them out for playing three, five, two, it was Montreal. Uh, Montreal was set up perfectly to attack that and they still are, you know, TFC still in the playoffs and Montreal is not. Um, I think the investment in Beta Shore and Justin Morrow, um, who were with the San Jose Earthquakes at one point, uh, but the well-run organization that is the San Jose Earthquakes opted to let those guys go. Um, and, was that Yallop? Uh, well, Yallop, uh, John Doyle was general manager. Now he's he's been fired. Um uh, Dom, or actually, I don't know if it was Kinnear or Yallop. Uh, I guess it was after it was right after the Supporter Shield season that they lost um, Morrow and or no, maybe both of them. I think both of them left soon thereafter. Anyway, either way, um, 
bad bad choices there, and they've been reunited by a TFC team who was like, hey, you know who's good is those two guys, um, and it's good to have good players who don't make a million dollars. They picked up Drew Moore. They they got some those, midfield help for Michael Bradley. They right, but the the three five two doesn't work without very very good players as your wingbacks. Um, the amount of pressure on those players to not make mistakes to actually contribute going forward, to defend one-on-one a lot, is really high. Um, and they really couldn't get away with it if they weren't... I mean, to compare it to something from, from DC United of the past, um, United, the last time they played three-five-two full-time, was a hyper-attacking, almost nonsense lineup, um, where Fred uh, was one of the wingers. or one of the, I say winger because it wasn't a wingback at that point. Um they were so far up the field, and it was just like a throw numbers at this problem solution. Um, TFC does not play it the same way uh, because you would get destroyed playing it, playing that way full yeah, time. That was that was like a really old school three man yeah. backline where the two outside backs weren't marking backs; they were actual fullbacks who would sometimes uh, venture forward. Far. I would not go that far. I mean, when um, when Namoff or, or McTavish was out Namoff, there, they they Namoff played it McTavish kind of like would, a fullback we're capable of doing both, but I think Tommy Stone was saying like, no, you should go forward too. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the last time we played. And, it was under Tommy. So, um, and, and, you know, TFC has got three actual center backs out there. Um, they've got, uh, you know, some pretty good athleticism on either side of drew Moore, who's had an excellent year, uh, leading that group, whether it's in a back four or back three, but, um, I think the main thing, though, is just a commitment to staying organized at the back. They're still, I mean, they scored a ton of goals, and they've been, I think in the playoffs, they've got, what, like 17 goals or something? Um, They've scored a ton, but there's still a distinct focus from them on staying organized, um, making sure that nobody is is overly committed to attacking, except for the forward. The forwards get a pass, but... Um, the one game that they really had trouble, uh, in the first leg against Montreal when they went down three, nothing was Armando Cooper and Jonathan Osorio not supporting Michael Bradley. So when those guys had an off night, things fell apart very quickly. Um, I mean, Montreal took lead in what the fourth minute of that game. Um, yeah, super early. Right. So, um, the system is fragile. Uh, if beta shore has a bad night, if Moro has a bad night, things can fall apart very quick. Um, if Cooper has an off night, uh, Will Johnson pushed Osorio out of the lineup um, for the second leg, and I assume he'll get to start in the final. Um, if either of those two players are off, then Seattle will probably figure it out quickly and pick on them. Um, so it, that's the issue with playing a three-five-two is that so many players, I mean, soccer's a game of mistakes, obviously. Every team is trying to avoid mistakes. But in three-five-two, if one player isn't having is having an average night even, you become vulnerable very quickly because there's a lot of individual work to do. It sort of emphasizes your individual talents and flaws. And I know that goes kind of against what I said earlier because I don't think TFC has a special team of defenders, uh, but they've done a very good job of making sure no one's getting exposed except for the first hour against Montreal where Bradley was pretty much, it was one on three uh, in central midfield and the uh, impact just completely made sure that the entire game was taking place in that area and the the back three couldn't do anything. That's really what, what Seattle's object needs to be, is to stretch that back three out and get behind Betashore and Morrow. Um, I think TFC has one concern. Uh, Betashore had an injury um, 
in the first leg, I want to say, and he played through it in the second leg. Um, but if he ha- if that injury is still hampering him, the step down to Mark Bloom uh, as the the right wing back there is significant. Bloom's not a bad player, but I don't think you can get away with playing that system against Seattle um, with Bloom on the field for any amount of time. So that's something for them to be concerned about. But overall, I think it's more about being well drilled than it is about special players. Other than Drew Moore being pretty pretty great this year, I would say. The other side of the field, Seattle allowed a few more goals. Um, not a not an obscene total by any means. Although the entire Western Conference was a lot lower scoring than the Eastern Conference. It was a little. I'm not sure why that that statistical quirk happened this year, but it did. That said, Seattle started clicking. Their defense, anyway, started clicking at the right time. They shipped multiple goals only once in their last eight games. That was against the Galaxy. Um, had a couple of shutouts in that time. What's going right for their defense right now, Jason? Um, I think a lot of it. I think there it becomes more about individual talent. Um, lost in the hullabaloo of Lodero arriving and Siggy Schmidt getting fired is that Roman Torres came back from a torn ACL. And the difference between Torres and every other center back on their team, not named Chad Marshall is pretty immense. Um, Torres is one of the best players in the league in the air. And he's partnered next to Chad Marshall, who's also one of those players. Um, I think that the added physicality he brings the, um, you know, there's a certain attitude that comes with him. I think he sort of he boosts his his uh, teammates by just being a little more bullish, a little more aggressive, and I think they the rest of the group is better for it. Um, the fact that they've got Osvaldo Alonso in front of him and uh, Alonso has had a great year um, this year, even even by his standards, a great season. Um, a lot of Seattle fans are upset that he didn't make the best 11 and they're probably, they've probably got a point. Um, but unfortunately, if you're a defensive midfielder in MLS, you do not get votes for best 11 somehow. Um, you just get ignored. If you're a fullback or a defensive midfielder, your chances are almost zero. You're not going to make um, it. You better yeah. score some goals. Like if you, if you're good at free kicks and you also play one of those positions, you have a chance. Um, but yeah, having Alonso in front of a uh, Torres and Marshall center back pairing, um, gives them a tremendous base uh, defensively. Stefan Frey, uh, Fry, excuse me, has been uh, pretty strong as well um, overall. He has had some down games, but mostly he's been very good. Um, and I, I would also, you know, you have to go stay in the midfield a little bit with Christian Roldan coming uh, coming into uh, the frame, going from not really being considered very often and having play on the wing and all this other stuff. Um, he's really emerged as a very good partner for Alonso. Um, another thing Seattle's good at is they keep the ball a little more than most teams, and and thus they don't have as much defending to do. Um, where they're going to be vulnerable would be on the wings, though. Um, Joven Jones, great going forward, can be found to be suspect at the back. Um, Tyrone Mears, kind of limited as a one-on-one defender. He's not good in the box as an emergency defender. He doesn't have that agility... Um, and that quickness to cover, you know, a first or second step. And in those areas, that's all that, you know, that can make all the difference in the world is that one little gap. Um, he's just not that quick. Um, but when Seattle doesn't have those guys having to defend one-on-one, and they, they they do excellent work to make sure that that doesn't happen very often. But when those guys don't have to defend very much, um, they're in business. You know, if, if, if it's always the center backs having to do the work, then 
Seattle really ends up being very difficult to break down. And, and, you know, even if they're not doing a great job, they've got Alonso right in front of them cleaning up the mess. So it's really about that central triangle. That really is what they're built around. And Toronto is not a team that wants to send in a lot of crosses. If they get frustrated and impatient though, they will, they'll, they'll just start pumping in crosses, which makes no sense. Altidore's, a good strong player, but he's much stronger with the ball at his feet than he is going after it in the air. Um, that said, watch out for his shoulders. Uh, cause dude can cause some damage with his shoulders as we saw last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Jovinko's obviously not going to win many aerial duels. Um, Ben, which attacking difference maker do you think it, we're going to be talking about on the show next week? I mean, it's hard to go against Ladero because he's just been so, ridiculous for uh, the Sounders since he's started uh, there. But I'm going to go with Josie. I think uh, Josie has shown in these playoffs that he's on fire uh, and through the the balance of the season. I think that he's on a form that we haven't seen for him really since he was at uh, AZ in the Netherlands. And I think he really wants to prove and show himself. I think he really wants to uh, win an MLS Cup. And I think he has the ability to to do so uh, and to really help uh, TFC do it. So I think we're going to be talking... I mean, it's weird to say that Josie's a little under the radar because he's one of the best players in MLS. But I think when you're talking about Javinko and Ladero and Michael Bradley, I mean, yeah, Josie's up there, but he's not going to make the he might not be making the ESPN uh, cut screen. Right. And he should. Yeah. I mean, he's got five goals in these playoffs. So five that's, goals and yeah. four assists. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's having been, one of the greatest playoff seasons in MLS history. Yeah. yeah. And, he's, and, I, and I feel like he's somehow underrated in these playoffs, which is mind boggling to me. Yeah. I mean, Jovinko is an MVP snub right now for, for yeah. his work over the whole year. So of course they're going to, He's going to be the guy. He was MVP last year. He he should probably be the two-time reigning MVP, and he's not. Uh, Lodero's the newcomer of the year. Uh, people who don't remember Christian Gomez call him the best midseason acquisition in MLS history. Of course, we remember Christian Gomez, so we are not going to call him that. I will say, if Seattle wins MLS Cup, I might have to retract that uh, that dispute because Lodero's numbers are better. Um pretty significantly it's just the fact that gomez came in and turned his team into an mls cup champion um and that's the difference between winning a championship and not winning it is uh it's all the difference in the world yeah you can be the greatest ever or not right it'll be a debate at that point i think um when ladero wins that that we will be happy to have if not when if when yeah um Ben, any other thoughts on this before we take a quick break and turn our attention more locally? Uh, not really. I mean, root for who you want to root for, but I uh, personally, I would rather TFC win. Jason? Um, just looking over the Seattle lineup, I guess the one thing that's kind of iffy to me is if they have to start Andreas Evenschitz, it kind of robs them of a little uh, of a dynamic presence on the wing. Um, that's, they started him against Colorado, but, um, getting some, some more speed, uh, on the left side might be beneficial given that TFC is playing three, five, two. Um, 
Obviously, they don't want to give up goals like Montreal did, but the idea of playing Dominic Oduro up high, uh, it actually is how Montreal got their their first, the opening goal in the first leg, the goal that really should have killed the series. Um, yeah, Montreal that really actually makes me think of something. That. I wonder um, if Seattle doesn't push Jovan Jones higher on the field, run him out as a winger and not as a fullback, like they did as a sub against DC United, right. and he just tore Sean Franklin to 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 shreds. The, um, the problem Seattle is going to run into there is that they don't really have a good option at left back. Um, O'Neill Fisher is, you know, they've used him, but he's not really that good of an option. And in fact, when uh, they did bring him in, uh, what was it? In, uh, oh, they brought him in for the last 15 minutes. It was only when Alonso got uh, hurt, which, um, you know, I know that there's still the, oh, Alonso's questionable angle, but realistically, unless he's dead, he's going to be on the field. Um, and he's not dead. Um <laughs> So, He's not yeah, dead. We, they did we trust, put on good authority. They trusted O'Neill Fisher for the last 15 minutes, protecting a 3-1 aggregate lead. Um, I don't know, though, that they're willing to go that far uh, with it, but I also don't know what else they can really do other than, you know, if, if Alvaro Fernandez can play, that adds a little more speed, um, and that, that frees them up to move Morris over to that side. Um, where he'd be attacking Betashore, who, if you've got to choose which one to attack with speed, I would attack Betashore with speed rather than Moro. I think Moro's a little quicker. Um, but that's some, that's a situation to watch because um, I think Seattle should be able to replicate Montreal's approach to TFC without making the mistakes Montreal made, which were numerous. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you don't give up five goals uh, when you... You were up 3 nothing and you lose that series. I mean, you've clearly done something wrong. Yes. You could put in Brad Evans as a left back. They could. They could. He's probably more likely to show up in the uh, on the wing, though. Um, that you know, I guess they've got they've got the option of using him all over the place because he's played most of the positions that he's, he can he's play. Brad Evans, that he exists. Is the yeah, the ultimate utility guy for them. Um, well, we'll talk about this game more next week. Stick around because we are going to talk about DC United right after this. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... You in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster.
Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Let's talk DC United. A little bit of news last week. uh, DC United uh, accomplished, you know, I I guess you could call it job number two of the offseason, signing Steve Birnbaum to a long-term deal. Uh, Reports were, what, either a three- or four-year deal with a club option for, for one more at the end of it. Uh, he will be here through the end of the decade, it sounds like, and that is good news for DC United fans. If he does leave, it will be for a hefty transfer fee and not for free at the end of next season. Ben, on a scale to of one to dancing in the street with the podcat, how happy were you to see this news? Um, I would probably say swinging a podcat up and down inside my house, but not quite taking a podcat outside to go dance with it. You're not willing to do it in public is what you're saying. You were still, you weren't so happy that you were completely lost of your faculties and willing to make a fool of yourself in public. And also I didn't want to be clawed by said podcat by taking them outside. Basically, I mean, basically I'm very, very happy about it. I mean, the fact that it took, some targeted allocation money is a little it's I mean, I just I wish it hadn't, but I mean I still am I, I would rather them do it with the TAM than not have it happen at all. Right. I I agree. And I'm interested to learn that that Jasper is agoraphobic. Um Oh yeah, he would claw the shit out of me if I took him outside. <laughs> like Dinah is wants to escape and go outside every time I let the dog go outside to go to the bathroom. But Jasper would just destroy me if I tried to take him outside. Um, Jason, I want to talk more about this TAM because Lucho Acosta is, is going to be a TAM player at least for one year. It sounds like he will just be a regular DP once the new stadium opens. But for the last year at RFK, he will be taking TAM. It sounds like Burnbaum will be taking TAM. Perry Kitchen not taking any TAM. And I wonder if they had offered him a TAM deal, whether he'd still be here. Either way, um, what are your they thoughts They probably on didn't quite... They probably didn't quite offer Kitchen a TAM deal. They, yeah, the that's what price, I'm thinking, too. Yeah, the price was probably... And to be fair to them, within MLS, that was probably about the amount that you could offer him without turning it unreasonable. And that's why he left, is because he had somebody out there that was willing to pay him more. Um, this is the problem that MLS teams will run into from time to time. Um, as far as the situation with Burnbaum, I think maybe... Maybe he doesn't get a better offer than Kitchen got if Kitchen had stayed. Um, I think maybe there's only yeah. room for one of those two guys on the roster at that that level of salary. Where it's not a designated player thing. It's not a, a roster rule thing. There's not a mechanism preventing it. It's just the planning, you know, how you plan your salary cap spending out sort of makes you make that choice. Um, and in this case, I think United... When Kitchen left, and you know they didn't, they didn't, they opted not to do it with him. But this time, they re- they probably realized we can't let both of them go. Yeah, I mean, it, so it would have been a something. similar cap hit for right. for Kitchen. Um, it's just this these you know secondary Garber bucks uh, right. that that aren't being used on Kitchen, but will be used on on Birnbaum. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, you know, United is uh, they went and got Acosta. Um, they're probably not going to bring in, um, judging from the amount of TAM they spent between the midseason window where they sent TAM to the Red Bulls, mm-hmm. uh, for Lloyd Sam, they sent TAM to NYCFC for Patrick Mullins. Um, they probably don't have enough TAM left over once they've paid Burnbaum 
to go do to pull off a, a TAM signing internationally, um, which yeah. which you know a non designated player, but a guy that is still making above the designated player hit. I don't think they've right. got half, that. somewhere between half a million and a million dollars a year. Right, they're they're not going to be signing a player of that price tag. I doubt they've got. Now they could. We could be wrong. Yeah. Um, because MLS, you know, teams keep this completely in the dark and probably you know keep the information that the amount of money is probably locked away in a safe, um, written on a scrap of paper. It's like the KFC recipe or something. But they um, also traded a significant amount of TAM to NYCFC to get. Patty Mullins. Right, well, I mean, I already mentioned that. Oh, sorry. It was like 90 seconds ago. <laughs> anyway. Technical um, difficulties are real, man. Um, no, it's you, you guys are, are fathers to young children. Your, your memory lapses are forgivable. This is what it's like whenever I hang out with any of my college friends as well. They're just like, I don't, I forgot, I'm sorry. Um, no, they, they, they've used a lot of it, and they used it well. Um, those aren't, those aren't bad deals. It's not like we're complaining that they wasted the money. Um, getting, getting Mullins especially was a masterstroke rather than a loss of money, but it does mean that, um, once you decide to put Tam towards Steve Birnbaum, you're kind of done putting Tam towards things this off season. Um, at least for the time being, you know, I, I know last year they said that each year you get, what was it? 800,000. And yeah, so there's. And if and you use a bunch of it, then you have you get less the next year. Like you can take an advance essentially on it. Um, I don't have the TAM rule. The TAM rules were especially complicated. I remember right. that. And there's a chance even that there's, by MLS's standards. there's a chance that there's even more TAM coming this um, year. Yeah, that they haven't uh, announced MLS could just invent more TAM. Yeah, that's uh, which is what happened. Yeah, because it went up. They in, they brought the idea and then they had it for a year and yeah. then they changed the I, way it works and it well, became if much I, more. If I remember right, the way it worked was that teams were were essentially getting, I think, eight hundred thousand dollars in TAM over two years, and they could use it, or or maybe it was it was five hundred thousand over five years or something like that, and you got a hundred thousand a year, but you could take an advance. But each year, a rolling amount of it would essentially disappear if you you hadn't used it yet. And then they said, all of a sudden, we are going to put eight hundred thousand in new TAM in for each of the next two years. And so some of that's going to Acosta, some of it's going to Birnbaum, and some of it, uh, some of the older TAM has has gone to the teams in in the Hudson River area. But there, there's almost certainly still some amount of TAM right. still in might, the imaginary bank account. Now, now let's you know, let's speculate and say that maybe all their TAM spending this year, including Birnbaum, was using up what was left from what they'd built up over time. And then they get the new group of it this coming year, which I I want to say again was like eight hundred thousand or something like that. Um, that ch- would change the game significantly. Yeah, um, that would be that's enough to sign a high end starter, not just a guy who starts, but a guy who's like a big deal um, if you get it right, um, which would be great. You know, we've talked about some some areas United needs to improve. Um, they will. I think we're going to get into that in the the very near future on this exact podcast. Um, you know, they'll have to improve on the wings f- fairly soon in the future. They don't need to do it now, but you know, they're not far yeah, from that day. Let's save but, that conversation for a future right. episode. Um, very, very quickly. Yeah. One position on the field where you want to see a TAM player, the one position. Uh, I want to see, I want to see a central midfielder who can do some defensive work, uh, either alongside Acosta or underneath, 
Uh, that's two positions. Number six or number or. eight. Number six or number eight. Pick one. Six. <laughs> ben, what's the one spot you want to see Tam used? I might have said what Jason said, but since Jason said it, I'm going to go with a uh, second striker to play uh, underneath and alongside uh, Patty Mullins just in front of Luciano Acosta. Or if you want to do a four-three-three, a it would be a it would be a wide forward in a four-three-three. Okay, I, I that's that's two totally different positions. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I number eight would be my my first choice, but just to to go out on a limb, let's say a, a Tam replacement for Bobby Boswell because somebody wrote Ooh, last I week. Like it. That, that that is the like center back DPs are the new hotness, and while that's probably wrong, uh, we're just you know going to be like ESPN and come up with different answers just for the sake of it. Um, and with that, let's let's talk cake or death. This is where we go through DC United's roster player by player and ask whether we want that guy on the team next season. We've been doing this every year, I think, actually since before Black and Red United existed, since before this podcast existed. Yeah, I was uh, on uh, DCUMD. Yeah, Martin Schatzer, who founded Black and Red United, he had it on his old site before that. Um, and and we've kept it going. Back then it was River or Life, then it was Cake or Death, now it's just a regular season review, up or down vote. Uh, I, I, think you, I think you missed an iteration there, Adam. I, I don't believe I did. Uh, I, I believe you did. Um, that remains to be seen. I'm going to say I did rewrite history. I'm not rewriting history. I'm just refusing to acknowledge your guy's crap. You're, you're going to have to accept that, that the historical record shows otherwise. I don't think I am. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I, I can ignore it, at least for the time being. First name on our list this week is Kofi Opare, center back um, reserve for DC United. He came in, uh, did not have his best year, uh, not even his best year in black and red. Um, I think arguably took a step back from 2015 when he did get on the field. Uh, there, there's an argument that he's been overtaken by the next name on our list, who we'll talk about in just a second. Um, nevertheless, it's time for an up or down vote. Ben, cake or death for Kofi Opari? Um, I say goat. He's still really cheap. I mean, yes, he regressed in uh, 2016, and this is actually antithetical to my actual vote on the site but at his price point you can't get too much better with a third center back third uh or uh, uh, and especially not a fourth center back uh so i think you have to keep him around as long as he's under contract as long as he's not looking for a big raise uh this off season so go i agree with your sentiment if not with your word choice uh i say kick um he, I think that there are some mitigating circumstances or extenuating circumstances for his his year. He had a concussion, had some trouble coming back from it, some other injury issues, and he's like you said, he's a cheap guy with who, who I think can play better than he did, and is absolutely worth keeping around as the third or fourth center back for for this year. And I think uh, the team needs to improve at center back, but that needs to be at starter, not necessarily. In, in the depth ranks. Jason, what say you? 
I think the answer is obviously GOAT. Um, we saw in 2015 what Opare is capable of. I think 2016 was an unfortunate year. The injury was a factor. Um, he also just lost form, and sometimes that happens um, uh, to any player. But, um, you know, just because we have Robinson pushing uh, closer to Opare, um, I still feel like if there was a game uh, that had to be played in the near future, it would be Opare getting the nod over Robinson uh, if one of them had to start. Um, the fact that Opare is still able to win headers uh, at a a pretty high level. Not he's not burn bomb, but he's probably better than Boswell at this point. Um, he's he's got good quickness. Um, he has a great straight line speed, but you know still acceptable for a center back. Um, his he's comfortable with the ball most of the time. If he could sand down the rough edges a little bit, um, there were some moments in the middle of this season where. He would have one mistake on the ball, but it would be at the worst possible moment to have a mistake. You know, just a bad touch that gets away or, or just the bad, the wrong technical choice. You know, he had one specifically where he put his foot over top of the ball because he took his eye off of it because he was a little overconfident and it ended up costing United a goal. Um, things like that, that definitely needs to be sanded down. Um, maybe, you know, I, originally when United got him, I thought he was going to have already pushed Boswell out of the lineup by now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has to be adjusted, that expectation. Um, but I still think as a number three center back on the roster, you've got to, you've got to still, I mean, most teams in the league would like to have Kofi Opare as the guy on their bench for center back. So it's, it's a pretty easy choice for me right now. Yeah. Versus Ethan White, for instance, this is Kofi Opare is definitely a better player. Next name on the list is Jalen Robinson. A uh, homegrown player, like Ethan White was, uh, ironically enough. Um, he's the guy who's pushing Kofi Opari, potentially, at this point. Some people think he's pushed ahead of him. I'm with you, Jason. I don't think he has quite yet, but I think that his upside might be a little higher than Opari's. He's much smaller, but I I, I really like his game. He's he's good with the ball at his feet. He's a smart guy. He, I mean, not that Opari's not but he he reads the game so well for a guy of his age and he he's got some freakish athletic abilities as well that I think more than make up for his lack of big size uh at the center back position I think it's clear what my answer is for for Jalen it's it's cake Jason what do you say I mean First of all, it's a homegrown player, so of course the uh, the choice is going to be goat. Um, the fact that he made big strides this year, and I got to write about Jalen Robinson um, for this subject for the site. Um, you know, he made huge strides this year. Last year, there was I, I believe Olson actually told reporters that he did not view Robinson as ready to start a game at center back in MLS. Um, this year, United found themselves in a situation where. They literally did not have an. They they had Opare. It was the only known center back that was going to start against the Revs uh, in the middle of the season. Uh, Burnbaum was injured. Boswell was suspended. We actually there was speculation in our comments and I believe on the site about what else can you do? Are they going to move Sean Franklin in the middle? Um, that, that was a popular I, choice. I believe the the idea of playing Marcelo Sarvas there was even like thrown out as like, well, if he doesn't view, if Olsen doesn't view Robinson as ready to play, what else can he do? Um, Robinson played and played extremely well. Yeah. Um, 
and really changed it's kind of a, a career changing game because he really changed yeah. how he was being defined on the on the roster absolutely um, where it was no longer a what are we going to do it was we're going to play Jalen Robinson and that's that um he played really well for 75 minutes at NYCFC um and right. then he went with the rest of the team. Yes, when- and it wasn't that he was the mistake. It was that everyone sort of fell apart at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was pl- – I mean, we're talking about dealing with Kai Kamara and David Villa. These are not – the you know, it's not like he, he shut down, uh, you know, the Houston Dynamo or right. – um, And it's not just two good players in this league. It's two very different, very good players in this league. David Villa and Kai Kamara present, present very different challenges to a center back and he did well in both of them i thought yeah so the you know the 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 choice is obvious you know he is only five nine um but i think he's he's got a an underrated ability to jump um his balance his physical strength are pretty high um this isn't a michael parker situation where he just gets bullied off the ball whenever anyone gets physical with him um, Robinson showed that he can fight. I mean, Kamara tried to do that. Kamara tried to bully him, and it didn't work. Um, so Robinson showed a lot this year. I think he closed the gap with Opari to a very small gap, um, which is what you want to see. For you, you don't want to see a young player staying just as far away from the veterans as he was before. You mm-hmm. want that gap closing, and he didn't just do that to an acceptable degree. He really closed it to almost a dead heat, which is awesome. So. Uh, goat, and I hope he plays more minutes next year. Yeah, Ben. I mean, yeah, he's great. He's been pl- he's been playing great for both uh, both the Richmond Kickers and for Arizona United uh, a couple years ago when the Richmond Kickers had too many good center backs, and uh, he's always played center back for uh, all of his USL teams. And as Jason said in his post about Jalen, he's re- he really is an example of the acceleration that a uh that time in the usl can show so definite goat and i hope for him that he can battle and maybe take over the uh third center back spot next up is one of the more difficult choices i think this year a lot of people um voting with their heads in the interest of player safety and uh, life after soccer rather than just voting for what's best for DC United. Um, and that's Chris Rolfe. He missed most of last year with pretty major concussion symptoms. If if you haven't read Steve Goff's uh, article on it, um, it's pinned to the top of his Twitter page and it's, I, I don't know how you haven't read it. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking to read in a lot of ways. Chris Rolfe has in some ways not really been able to live since his head injury, um, let alone play soccer. Uh, and, and so there, there's a question the way Ryan Kiefer wrote it was assume he's fully healthy and gets cleared to play soccer. Would you want him back? And I think for a lot of readers, that's been a difficult question to unpack because it's hard to make that assumption right now after the last several months of Chris Rolfe and, and hearing that he, he has to wear sunglasses everywhere he goes because the sun gives him a blinding headache. Um, it's, it's, it, it's tough for me to verbalize the, the empathy I have for, for Chris Rolfe and what he's 
going through right now. And I'm I'm almost inclined to skip cake or death here because there's no way a yes or no yeah, can right. can it, really encapsulate because right. he's a fantastic player yeah, who yeah. I would love to see play again, but at the same time I'm not completely sure he should play again. It's kind of like Davy Arno last year, mm-hmm. um, but but somehow even distilled and and more so. Um, and that I I want him to have a really good life after playing soccer. And if he tries to lace him up again, I'm not sure he'll. That's in the cards. Yeah, and you know, if, if a doctor, you know, if a, if a high quality doctor showed up and was like, yes, Chris Roth is clear to play. Uh, everything is great. Um, he's fine as fine as he can be. Um, then that's a decision he gets to make for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But, oh. You know, we're also talking about a guy who has made it very clear that he has clear ideas, what he wants to do after he's done playing. Um, this isn't just a guy who's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life after. He knows what he wants to do with his life after. And that's probably, I'm going to guess, is an, uh, something that influences his decision um, to go forward or not. Um, but the, the main thing for Rolf is just being able to live a day-to-day life without severe impediments all the time. Um, and to be able to think, you know, what's what's his life going to be at 44? You know, mm-hmm. how are things going to be then? So... Um, that really is the the more important thing than any of the soccer side of it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to even ask Kick or Death. We did it on the, the site. If you want to vote in that particular poll, you can go to blackandredunited.com uh, and, and vote on that. But we're not going to, to talk about that here. I just, it's, yeah. I. He's yeah, on the I, list, so we had to at least talk about him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, I, I really want him to get better and have a full, very happy life because he's a good dude. Uh, next on the list is Alvaro Sabarillo, who um, is a, was a difficult post to write for a completely different reason. And that reason is that he's already gone. He announced on Twitter that he is leaving DC United, will not be back next year. He enjoyed his time here. He thanked the fans and he's gone. Most likely going back to Saprissa, his former club down in Costa Rica, uh, where he, he had a lot of success, and I really hope... I'm not sure if they're in the Champions League this year, but if they are, I hope they do some damage to an MLS team, since DC United's not in the Champions League this year. Uh, I I would love for him to score a hat trick against um, that, the that Sounders a, or Toronto FC or anyone. thing to happen. Um, yes. <laughs> for for <laughs> Saborio to happy. pop up on Saprissa and be like, oh, hey guys, it's still me, and... Uh, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's like Junior Carlos Ruiz. Yeah, only I don't think Sabario is coming back to MLS in three yeah. years. Yeah, in three years on a, on a good team. <laughs> yeah, who the hell? I knows? mean, if, that's a if, good if, point. If the Galaxy signed him in three years, I'd be totally down with that. Because well, the thing is, I, I wish nothing but for a couple years and then come back, and then three years after that come back. I wish nothing. But that's what Ruiz did. Despair on the LA Galaxy. That's all I'm trying to say. All right, that's that's completely fair. Um, Sabarillo, I think we will go through the exercise on him, even though he's already gone. Uh, Sabarillo was not good as a starter for DC United in eight starts. He had one goal, but in his uh, right, yeah, but in his what eleven something maybe something like that. Uh, substitute appearances, he had five goals and he ended up having a ridiculous goals and assists per 90 number on the par with 
the elite in MLS uh, based on a pretty small uh, sample size because most of his appearances were as a sub. And he he was great as a sub. Uh, He and Lamar Nagel were, I think, both worthy of the title of super sub this year. All that said, assuming he weren't already gone, Ben, would you want Sabarillo back next year, cake or death? I mean, I would only want to give him goat with a substantial pay cut. He was making a lot of money last year. And especially with uh, Lamar Nagel still being a bench player in uh, 2016 on this DC United team, you can't also justify giving Alvaro Sabarillo like almost double the amount of money that uh, Lamar Nagel is making. So uh, I say Fox because he's making so much money and uh, he seemed to only succeed in very certain situations. But yeah, Fox don't want to see him back. Like him as a player, but no. Uh-huh. Jason? In in a very limited and unrealistic uh, 2017 where Sabrio accepts a pay cut, accepts a role uh, playing only as a super sub, then, yeah, sure, uh, bring him back. But those are not going to happen. Um, he's not interested in sitting and playing 15, 20 minutes every week, and that's it. Um, and that kind of became obvious over time and we we had heard rumblings of him looking for a way out pretty much as soon as Mullins arrived um and if he's not happy here then you've got to move on especially for a player who's in his mid-30s like there's no there's no reason to keep that player you've got to be good enough at your job to go find somebody else to replace him so the the answer in reality is Fox. If we could do the hypotheticals, then there's a universe. There's a oh, there's one slice of the multiverse where this could work. Where it's Sabo is like, yes, I'll take that pay cut and that minute cut, and then just be a super sub. That's great, hooray! But we're not in that one. We're in the one where he wants to be a starter, and that's not realistic. Right, and I, I think the best thing for club and player is what happened in this universe where where he goes back to costa rica goes to a good team in costa rica that's going to play uh meaningful minutes he's gonna get a lot of time there and dc united gets that salary cap space uh, to to do something else with um so so i say death but good luck to you and please bring death to mls teams in the champions league next year uh lloyd sam is next he's the last one we're talking about tonight he came down from uh the hated team in new jersey and immediately made himself very welcome in the nation's capital um doing doing some good work out on the right wing for dc united he was instrumental in the formation shift uh doing well going forward and back in the 4141 uh he had goals he had assists he was generally i think a welcome addition he is over 30 he is on a not a small salary not a giant salary but not not a pittance either so so there is some question uh, around him that said the answer is pretty easy for me to say on lloyd sam ben cake or death oh definitely go lloyd sam was a welcome addition to this team and uh I mean, yes, he's in his 30s, but everyone on this podcast is also in our 30s, and we're just as good at soccer as Lloyd Sam, so Lloyd Sam should be what? back, too. Dude, no. I'm physically broken. 
<laughs> if you took all of our best qualities at soccer and put them into uh, uh, the best, we like if you took we wouldn't be MLS bone quality. and muscle quality and put it all together and and turned us into physically and mentally the best soccer player the three of us could be, we wouldn't be good enough to play in MLS. And much less than Lloyd Sam. Lloyd Sam would is way good? better than that. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let's go to this tangent. Would we be good enough to play in NPSL? Mm. Or PDL? I don't know. How far can you run? I'm, I'm okay at running. I, I, run a, I run a 10K in a decent amount of time. How about sprinting? How many sprints nah, can you do? Nah, no, no. I'm, I'm no not sprinting. good at sprinting. Nah, uh, Adam, sprinting? I'm good, I'm good at distance. I'm good over, you know, five steps. Okay, I'm really no, quick no. over five and, steps. But, the answer then is no. None of us to have the ATP stores to play uh, professional athletics. No. Hey, when I was I I, I did I'm DC sorry. scores no, this no, year no, and sorry, I did really Adam, well no, against those no, third no, graders. Just no, uh, no. When we did the coaches play that, no, I sorry, did, yeah, sorry, yeah, Adam. No, you're right. You're right. Jason, cake or death for Lloyd Sam. Uh, I mean, it's goat, and it's pretty easy. I know people are concerned about the age. Uh, situation but he didn't look like a 32 year old um he didn't look like someone who's about to hit the wall and fall apart um he came in and was had an immediate like literally his first appearance he had a good understanding with sean franklin um after a couple days of training and and in a first game um three was it three goals and six assists um in less than half a season um and his his overall stats even though people up in uh, with the red bulls were a little critical about his production his his production in 2016 overall is four goals 10 assists um that's a guy that you can build around that's an important player that's not just a guy you throw in the lineup um it looked like um sam was happy here you know it took him it was funny because he had the emotional reaction to getting traded but then within like a day it was like no everything's great um and it actually seemed like it was a genuine thing like he was actually like no i'm having a great time um, so yeah, I yeah. think he hadn't been told about the trade, and so yeah. it came as a shock it was to a him. Complete and shock, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he was very good uh, all year long. Um, maybe not as good defensively as as Niako, but still really good. Um, still helpful in the the new, I wouldn't say high pressure system, but the implementation of occasional pressure. Um, he's selective a, pressure. Yeah, um, so... Because you have to... It's a read, right? Right. It's it's a mental thing, and that's maybe the best thing about Lloyd Sam is that he's a smart player. Um, He doesn't have elite speed or elite dribbling ability. He's not a perfect crosser or a passer, but he's smart, and he gets himself into good positions where it's easy to accomplish things. Um, And that's what smart players do. You you don't have to be tremendously technically gifted. If you go on YouTube, you can see skill videos where people can... um, put a ball through a trash can through, you know, passing through a moving cars, uh, driver's side window and then the passenger window. And then it goes in the trash can. Those guys are great, but they, they aren't good enough to get into positions to do that in a real game. So they're not, that's why they're not professional players. Um, Sam is good at making it. So he doesn't have to play this incredibly difficult ball. He just has to play the right pass at the right time. He puts himself in a position where he makes the game easy for himself um, and speaking as someone who was always too slow to be, uh, the player that gets away with technical things, uh, that is always going to appeal to me. The guy who's smart enough to get away with being not as fast as other players at his position, because he's just, he's there first. He's there early. Um, so, so you're, you're a poor man's Bobby Boswell. No, I can't jump or play center back at all. 
Um, but uh, Jason's no. not tall, dude. Yeah, I'm you're five foot nine, and I can't you're, jump. You're you're a poor <laughs> man's jump. you're a poor man's Davy Arno. I yes. guess, but he has more burst over distance, even putting it to scale. Well, yes, because he's an MLS player. No, but putting it to scale, I'm saying, even then he has more burst. Anyway. Well, that's um, true. I guess he was. So, Jason, are you a poor man's player. Kurt Morsink? No, I'm, I, I, a poor man can do better. Um, but uh, <laughs> what, I, what I'll say is that Sam's soccer intelligence, it really boosts this team, and it may be why he starts over uh, Nagel. It may be why... Um, he often was kept on the field longer than Niako when Olsen had to choose when to bring Nagel in. He often chose to leave Sam in, even though there would be a lot of times where it looked like Sam was injured. He got kicked. Um, he's wincing. He's he's limping. He, he has a weird running stance where it looks like he's already hurt, um, but he's not. It's just his way. Yeah, um, his gait is kind of similar to Nick DeLeon in that that respect where he, yeah. it, he his looks jog like he anyway, especially in. looks looks gassed and hurt, but right. that's just his... It's just how serving energy run. Yeah. Like when um, he's running at speed, he's galloping. He's but and the other thing fine. is with a high soccer IQ player, you can get away with being out of gas a little bit for longer because you can hide it because you're smart enough to get in a position earlier in the movement so you're not having to sprint. And that's what kills players is sprinting. I'm glad we talked about this before and it's it's wrapping around. Um <laughs> Sprints are what kill you. Um, every professional player can do the jogging that's involved. You know, they could play five games in a row without a problem. It's the number of sprints. And if you're smart enough to avoid having to sprint so often, you can play for longer. Um, and that is why I'm confident that Sam will be not just a, a player of use for DC, but I feel like he'll be starting in October or November of 2017. So uh, extreme goat. Yeah, easy cake for for me too for for all the reasons said. Now it's time to turn to the Twitter box, and uh, our first note comes from listener Daniel Cafone, who oh no wait actually that's wrong. He's our second note. Our first note uh, I'm bringing up now because I went to the wrong place initially. It comes from commenter Jay Morrow on the 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 website on blackandredunited.com, who commented on our post from last week to file, to, to lodge an official complaint with us. Actually. Rejected. Out of hand, rejected. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to reject this one. Rejected out of hand. He, he, he says, so, I listen a bit late, but there was a comment that I know my boats that then proceeded to get all the <laughs> boat technology wrong. Last week we talked about boats and... and well, he, sort of. Yes. I talked anyway. about my fear of being run out of town. <laughs> and I think I think our commenter here is running you out of town, Jason. He wants to. Well, he hasn't shown up. <laughs> if you can find my stop sign yard, you can try and run me out of town, but I'm going to fight. <laughs> You're going to be tied to a log and literally carried out of town. He, he says no, no, the person in question... He says the person in so, yeah. question is named uh, mm-hmm. Gabriel Horchler, and he commutes on the Anacostia by a boat known as a skull... Not a skiff. Crew rowing boats are either skulls, where all rowers have two oars, or a sweep, where all rowers have one oar. As a catch-all for rowing boats, it's usually appropriate to call them a shell. A skiff is a shallow, flat-bottomed open boat with a sharp bow and a square stern. They're on the Anacostia as launches to support rowers and dragon boaters. They're all gas-powered, to his knowledge. They are being phased out slowly and being replaced with wakeless launches and or john boats. I have no idea what a john boat is. 
Um, that's me. That's not I, him I, saying I, that. I assume it has something to do with the uh, Sloop John B. Yeah, sure. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with that. Uh, skiffs tend to be poorly constructed and wear out more quickly than boat types. I, I guess skiffs don't even count as a boat. That that's what I learned from reading this. Um, he he continues on commuting to the stadium via rowing. It's probably going to be difficult due to the lack of appropriate low height docking and boat storage near the area, and the fact that the water is a quite quite a bit rougher near Buzzard Point due to the confluence of the Washington uh, Channel, the Potomac, actually, and the Anacostia. I've actually and the heard other that from boaters. multiple sources. I've actually heard that from multiple sources that it gets pretty choppy uh, as you get closer to Buzzard Point. Okay, he says larger boats with four or eight rowers can probably handle it without issues, but they're harder to organize for longer trips on the river. So, you, so basically, so basically, what we're saying is you need to get eight of your friends together. Well, seven and, of your uh, friends. You count. You're oh, a person. Oh, that's true. No, you're not. Uh, you need to get <laughs> seven of your friends together, uh, get a skull, and then row over to Buzzard Point from. I guess this is only from Virginia or sweep. I don't know. You can get a sweep. Yes, but I, I guess you can't row from Maryland. I don't know what water sure sources come from Maryland. National Harbor. I mean, maybe, what are you talking about? I don't they're know. On the freaking bay. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you're on the bay side, then you have to go like all the way down to the mouth of the Potomac and then come back up. More power to you if that's how you commute to games. Okay. I mean, yeah, if you do that, then that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so, I, mean, I guess the Anacostia River does go into Maryland, so I take back all of that stuff about Maryland. It's not super navigable that high up, but yes, it does. I, I would assume it would be probably from a uh, an eight-person uh, boat. Yeah, so. there's also like National Harbor, Oxen Hill are all down there on the Maryland side. Also, we know mu- as much about boats as we say we do, so... Yes, yeah. it's true, which is we not We know much. plenty about boats. No, I we know lots about boats. I did... I don't have it currently. I did once have a license to operate a regular uh, power boat in the state of Maryland where I could I, I, I will say, and not get arrested. I will say I disapprove of any locality that gave you such a license. Uh, it doesn't take much to get it. Um, but yeah, you're also, just looking for a reason to disapprove of Maryland, Ben. That doesn't count. Yeah. Um, no, but look, it's, it's disapproval. No, no, no. But it's Jason. Would you trust him to drive a boat? I was uh, look the person whose boat I was on. The whole reason I got it was because I was going to be spending a, a week on the Eastern Shore with access to a boat. The person whose boat it was explained to me that maritime law, and I'm quoting him now. Um, maritime law uh, meant that the only thing that was important on the eastern shore was if as long as we had enough life jackets for everybody we could get away with anything else we did that didn't involve a boat fire um and he was telling me this as he held a beer and drove the boat that I was <laughs> what if saying. you set, what if you set somebody else's boat on fire that involves a boat fire and you get a, yeah you, you, there's a boat fire so um, but it's not your boat on fire. No, but it no, is but a boat fire. You're responsible for a boat fire, and that's what counts, is any only boat if the, Only if those people on the other boat can prove that you set the fire. Uh, you're probably still in the area. Um, but in any case... Okay. Um, All right, let's... Let's, Let's move, move on. on. This boats. is not. This we is are not good boats. at talking about boats. We are good about talking about tactics, and that's what our next note comes from. This was an email to us, filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. It's from Daniel Cafone. I apologize if that is not how your last name is pronounced. Uh, who writes us, uh, big fan of the show. Thank you for saying that. Especially living outside of Philly since 2009, it's nice to be able to get the great content about DC United. I wanted to ask a question to Jason because he seems to really understand the tactics and formations of soccer. And although I've been yeah, watching... He does. He, yeah, that's why he's here. I don't do Although I've been else. watching 
DC United since 1996 as I struggle with certain positional aspects. The 4-4-2 at the double pivot midfielders was easy to understand what everyone should be doing, but the 4-1-4-1 that they do that they now deploy is a different story. I know the holding midfielder, striker, and wingers, but the two midfielders in the middle of the four give me trouble. Usually Acosta and Jeffrey or Vincent are there. Are they supposed to stay more to their sides? I know you want Lucho to get forward and connect with Mullins. So is Jeffrey supposed to hang back or jump more in the offense since Sarvas is still back? Could you maybe go over the benefits and strategies of the 4-1-4-1 for us tactical novices? Thanks and keep up the great work, Daniel. Jason, it's all you, buddy. Well, the the first thing here is is you ask about cutting cutting the field in half, so to speak, um, where one player stays to right center midfield and one stays to the other side. Um, that's a variable. Teams teams can do a bunch of different things with that. Um, I think United is a little more on the fluid side rather than being very rigid. There are times where it's obvious that they've picked out. They want Acosta to stay left of center. More often than that, that's where they want him to be. Um, and that's because he has a good relationship with uh, Nyako where Acosta will peel out left and actually be out on the wing and Nyako will cut in and be almost a second forward. Um, that's a movement that United has worked a lot on and they've been able to have a lot of success creating with that. Um, but each team is different. A team that wants to be more rigid will say, you stay right of center, you stay left of center. Um, and I think Olsen goes game to game. I think it changes. There are games where he wants Acosta in certain areas, um, of the field. There are other games where it's not that important. Um, defensively, they do tend to stay right of center, left of center. Now, there are games that Acosta started right of center and he just stayed over there the whole time. Um, but there, there is uh, defensively, there's a structure and they don't switch very often. Unless if it's a quick breaking at- attack, then they'll switch because there's no choice. You know, you just have to get people in those spots. Um, and if the two central midfielders have to flip, then so be it. And they'll switch back as soon as they can. Um, so for you, for, for United's purposes, it's a little more fluid than that. Um, there's a little freedom there. Um, as far as what they are supposed to do, the Jeffrey Vincent role, um, that person is supposed to join the attack when they can, when the option is there. Um, but they have to make the judgment of what if this attack doesn't work? What if, what if there isn't a shot on goal? And the worst case scenario, what if there's a shot that gets blocked or the ball gets tackled right before that and the ball springs loose into the space that they just left? You know, if they make that run from that deeper spot, what happens if the ball pops back to where they were and the other team is countering, countering the other way in space? Because at that point, you've got a ton of space to counter into. You, it's a risk that you have to take. Um, and so that, you know, choosing when to make that run is very big. And it's it's a difficult choice because you've got to be aware of everyone on the field, essentially. You've got to know all of what's going on. You have to know, has the other team been attacking this space? Have they been good at winning the ball in the middle of the field and springing the counter there? Or are they... Have they been having to do it on the wings? Um, you know, it's it's both a historical thing that you need to have worked, you know, you have looked at over time, uh, but you also need to look within that game and know whether this is a good idea or a bad idea on the day. Um, and so it's a it's a really difficult role um, at home. United send, I mean, to to put it in uh, broad strokes, at home United tends to give those players the license to jump into the attack. Um, they don't just want to send four. Um, if it's Kemp or Franklin overlapping to be the fifth man in the attack, then maybe they stay home. Um, Jeffrey and Vincent, I mean, stay home. 
Um, or maybe they wait till the very end and then jump in. Um, but if it's not an attack coming down the, through the fullbacks, they're going to, you know, the, the number eight, as we call it, um, that will be a move, a player that tends to jump in. Um, not necessarily as aggressively as Acosta, but there are times where it, things open up and that's the exact, uh, thing to do. Um, to go back a couple of years, um, and, and actually it's an example from the 442 days, but, um, DC played at Kansas City. They won three nothing, and it was all counterattacking goals. And part of the reason it worked was Perry Kitchen bursting from a very deep spot in the midfield, and no one picked him up because Kansas City was so focused on the wingers and the forwards. So when Kitchen burst through, there's no one tracking him. And if you're a number eight and you notice no one's tracking you, then you need to make that run more often um, because. If you're coming through un unmarked and the center backs are occupied and everyone else is occupied with something and you just run through the middle, it's very easy. All of a sudden, it's just a ball over the top and you're in behind. Um, and so there's sort of a home run approach that is possible with that possession. Uh, position, excuse me, not possession. Um, but yeah, it, it's a complicated role. It, it's a demanding role. And it's actually, um, it might be a role where we see different players next year just because the risk reward there is very high. If the, if that player is a bad game, you end up in deep trouble. If that player is a good game, you might end up winning the game early and having it very easy um, for yourself. Um, I'm, I've actually pulled up the email to make sure I'm answering all the aspects. <laughs> this, is, this was a long multi multi clause uh, question. It was. Um, there was a lot. the The benefits and strategies of the four one four one in this case. Um, mostly the benefit is helping out Lucho Acosta and giving him more support. Um, the four four two, if he wanted to play through the middle, United would have had to play a diamond and there would have been, they didn't have the players to play wide in a diamond because wide in a diamond is actually pretty close to central midfield. Um, we call yeah, that Nick a for that. Yeah. Nick DeLeon seems custom built for that. Right. Um, but, but even then he's on the other side. Right, and and a shuttler also needs to play a little more forward than than DeLeon does. That that would be the one thing he would have to work on there. Um, so be, because you, the thing is, if you play a diamond and you want Acosta as the central midfielder, we know he's going to do the defensive work. But he's got to, if he's got to spend all his time doing defending, he's not being Lucho Acosta anymore. Um, so to switch to the four one four one, you give him you give that extra man in the midfield, so he doesn't have to spend all that time doing defensive stuff. Um, the other thing is, you know, yes, you're abandoning having two forwards up front, um, but most of the time in the modern game, you're getting enough midfielders coming forward where that doesn't matter so much. You're going to find your second runner from somewhere. I already mentioned uh, Nyako making that run, um, and that's pretty common for United, and, and Lamar Nagel was very good at making that run as well off the bench. So um, the idea basically is to build more around what helps Lucho Acosta be the best player he can be. Um, and that's why United had to make a different, uh, had to make a move at center forward because, uh, Patrick Mullins fits that system perfectly. Whereas in the four, four, two, and even when we changed to the four, one, four, one before Mullins arrived, we had Saborio there, but he's not mobile enough. He doesn't, he's not able to cover enough ground quickly enough to play that role. Um, so really in this case, it was about getting the best out of the players on the roster more than it was about a specific, um, tactical idea. I think Olsen is much more of a, what do I have at my disposal and I'll build around that, rather than, this is how I'm going to play and the rest of the players just have to fit my system. He's much more of a, 
what can I do with the players at my disposal coach? And so, um, I mean, we could do a lot more on 4141. It could go on for a while. But essentially, the decision was based on getting the best of the players that are here rather than making them fit a system that didn't work, which we saw the first half of the season, what that looked like. All right. uh, Let's go to Twitter now. Uh, Ted Meyer at Ted D Meyer asks us at filibuster DCU, which DC United player do you feel has the best chance of going in the expansion draft? We were going to go through um, our list of players uh, to protect tonight and, and even get into a debate about the badly written expansion draft rules. But um, we decided to talk about other stuff instead. So rather than going through our, our whole lists of, of players we think will be protected. Let's, let's go through this in a semi lightning round fashion. Ben, who do you think is most likely to leave DC United this winter by means of the expansion draft? Uh, probably Kofi Apare, uh, for all the reasons that we talked about during, uh, uh, Fox. I think if he's unprotected, he's cheap. He's a center back, which is a position that everyone needs depth in, and yeah, I think I think uh, Minnesota is far more likely to pick a DC United player than uh, Atlanta for the obvious reason that now Amos McGee, former DC United assistant, is at is the director of player personnel for Minnesota. So he has an inside track on DC United players. Uh, he may have his favorites and. I think it may be Kofi Apare, but I could also see a them taking a flyer on either Rob Vincent or Jared Jeffrey too. But I'm going with Kofi Apare. All right, Ben. Thank, thanks for taking an answer and also stealing, you know, naming everyone, other guys everyone so, else's that, so that we yeah, wouldn't have yeah, anything to yeah, say. Yeah, that was yeah, that was real yeah, good podcasting yeah. on your part. You're welcome. I I agree with you that I think Amos McGee could pull a DC United player. Um, I think that it's likely to be Rob Vincent or Jared Jeffrey. Um, my my hunch says was saying Jeffrey. Now it's kind of leaning towards Vincent all of a sudden. Um, just because I, they bring some things to both sides of the ball that, that, that are interesting. And it's, it's hard to say what Minnesota will do right now because they have two defenders on the roster and nobody else and their fullbacks at that. So I think it, it's, it's tough to say what's going to happen for them, but I think one of those two midfielders is probably the most likely to go. Jason. Uh, I think it's probably Opare, um, just out of the fact that it's hard to find capable center backs. And he, it's not like he's lacking in talent. It's just if you get him back on course, um, you've got a starter right away. So both of those teams don't have a single center back on their entire roster so far. Atlanta yeah. signed like 10 dudes and they don't have any defenders. Um, Minnesota has signed two dudes that are defenders, but neither are center backs. Um, so yeah, I think it's Opare at this point, but you know, it, it's it's always a, a wild card. The expansion draft always ends up being weird. Yeah, that's true. Uh, next question comes from our good friend Filmy Girl at Filmy Girl on Twitter. She asks us at filibuster DCU. Do the Atlanta signings signal we no longer need an expansion draft? Uh, Atlanta United has been very active. Most recently, signing Miguel uh, Almiron from Paraguay, uh, who has, I think, five appearances for their national team. He's going to wear number 10 for them, even though he he seems to be more of a winger than uh, a central guy. I I honestly haven't seen a lot of film on him. I just have seen him described more as a winger uh, elsewhere. 
he he seems like a good player. Arsenal was sniffing around uh, to get him this winter. Um, he's going to be a, a very large transfer fee, especially for MLS, and is going to make a lot of money from Arthur Blank. Um, Jason, what do you think? D- is the expansion draft uh, essentially outdated at this point? We're seeing it scale down this year. Um, That's right. You know, it's been cut in half, so player teams only get five players, um, and teams can only uh, the teams that are already in the league can only lose one guy. Um, I don't know exactly. You know, it, it's an interesting thing because if you say yes, it's gone, it, we don't need it anymore. Um, teams will fill their roster, but I don't think on the domestic side. I think they're going to end up with a pretty low quality group of players. They're going to have to it necessarily forces expansion teams to be extremely heavy on international players. Um, which also, you know, it sort of drives a, a market where expansion teams need more international spots and existing teams that aren't using all of theirs can give them up. Um, and so those teams get stuck being domestic forever, heavily domestic, I should say. Um, and the expansion teams have a hard time getting away from being, you know, having three or four expansion spots that they weren't originally theirs. So, um, yeah, Montreal is trading for international slots right, every or year, it seems look like. Look at NYCFC. NYCFC. You know, they'll be doing that forever, too. Um, I think right now the existing cutting it down was a good idea. Um, I also mm-hmm. think cutting it down means less weird flyers that, that teams will take that just, you know, we won't see teams trying to take hostages like Montreal tried, um, where they tried to grab Brian Ching and hold him for ransom. Uh, we also Houston. won't see teams um, taking promising players from that were previously acquired via dispersal draft after <laughs> uh, seemingly major injuries look, to if, them and take if them. If Tommy McNamara or equivalent found himself in this expansion draft, he would be taken by one of Montreal or Atlanta, and that team would Minnesota. instantly have themselves... Yeah, or, Not yeah, Montreal. I've said, <laughs> we've said Montreal way too much already. Um, but yeah... Um, I, I say I, I'm glad that they cut it in half, and you know, as time goes on, depending on how far in the future the next one is, maybe they should shorten it down to three or four. Um, but I, I don't know that we're at the point where it can, we can completely get rid of it. But I will say that if they said, "Hey, there's no expansion draft," the expansion teams will put together teams as best. Or I, I don't know that it's going to have that that great of an effect on the expansion teams. I think the issue is more how it affects the teams that already exist in the league. Yeah. Next question comes from Josh Weber on Twitter at Salisbury United, who asks us at filibuster DCU, what are the odds of a Bill Hamid transfer this off season? Ben, what do you think? Any chance DC United loses Bill Hamid this winter? This winter? No, I don't think so. I think his injuries are, are going to scare off anybody to seriously to basically pay the amount of money that DC United is going to want this offseason uh maybe in the summer but we'll see what happens this early year see what you're uh, not Jurgen. thankfully Jurgen is gone uh see what bruce does uh with bill in uh camp cupcake and with these friendlies but uh this winter i think very small chance that's it for this week thank you all for listening find us at blackandredunited.com. We are on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for blackandredunited.com. Uh, 
We are on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We are on Stitcher. We are on the podcatcher of your choice. Um, make sure you, you like us, give us a rating, review, whatever else we're supposed to say here to get you to help us out. Mostly, though, just tell a friend about the show. That's the best way you can help us out. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Oh, Jesus Christ. 